Good morning. Welcome to the month of December as we begin our Advent celebration. We're so glad that each one of you are here this morning. And I invite you to stand and let's worship our God, who is a God. There's nothing better than him. I searched the world, but it couldn't fill me. A man's empty praise and treasures that fade, never enough. And you came along and put me back together. And every desire. Now satisfied here in your love. Oh, there's nothing better than you. There's nothing better than you. There's nothing. Nothing is better than you. I'm not. Show you my weakness, my failures and flaws. Lord, you've seen them all, and you still call me friend. And the God of the mountain is the God of the valley, and there's not a place your mercy and grace won't find me again. Oh, there's nothing better than you. There's nothing better than you, Lord. There's nothing. Nothing is better than you. Oh, there's nothing better than you. There's Better than you. 
Take a moment, turn to somebody that's close by to you, and wish them a Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. We're going to continue our, our worship this morning in a couple of different ways. It, it, you know, it's, it's very cool that we are starting out Advent uh, and the worship and the celebration of Jesus' birth, but also we're going to celebrate uh, communion today. And so we'll have that coming up, and in a moment we're going to have um, a family share from and light the first candle of the Advent wreath, and we're going to have the ushers come forward for this morning's offering. So let's pray. God, I thank you for all that you've blessed us with, and we are blessed. You have given us more than we could ever think, more than we ever deserve. And, and that life eternal through your Son, Jesus, who died to pay the penalty for our sin. What a blessing that is. And, and God, it was all according to your plan. Lord, as we study this morning about your sovereignty and in the fullness of time, you did a work. Lord, we want to worship you. We want to worship you through giving even now. Lord, as, as the ushers will come forward after uh, this lighting of the candle, Lord, we know that, that we can give back to you the first fruits of that which you've given to us. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, as we begin our season of Advent, we celebrate that in his time, God gives. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Galatians 4, 4 through 5. And you, Bethlehem. Land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Matthew 2, 6. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. 
John 3.16. I'd like to teach you a new song this morning that's going to be our theme song for the month of of December here as we celebrate Advent and Christmas. We're going to sing the first verse and then have you join us. One, two, three, four, five, six. To the world on a night like no other, Emmanuel, God is with us, beggars and kings, let us come and adore Him, rest in His peace, and bow. For the Lord our God Almighty. 
Thank you. 
Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came. And we worship you and adore you because we do know that that little babe, that as you came in that manger, even then you were still the king, the one for us to bow our knee and to worship you, to present you with our lives and everything we have. So we worship you this morning. We thank you that you are the God that has delivered us, that has freed us, that has called us your own. We ask you to teach us this morning, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. We're going to be taking a look over the next four weeks at Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5. And I have a question for you. Is there order in the universe, or does everything just happen as a random event? Seriously, when we think about it, how we view events, how we view time, really reflects on how we view God. Is it, if everything is happening as a random event, then basically chaos is in charge. If everything is orchestrated according to God's plan, then God's in charge. And it really impacts your faith. Christmas is one of those holidays, it's an event, that we look at and we celebrate, but do we really understand everything about it and the whole purpose of this? And one of the things that we're going to unpack today is our view of time. Time and events. When we think about these events, most people will measure time by a clock. They'll measure it by days, months, years. They'll measure it by holidays. I'm sure about this time you're remembering back and you're going, well, I remember last Christmas. Or I remember this last birthday. Or I remember this last anniversary. Or I remember these last things. These events and, that take place. These birthday events. Sometimes we have memories of traumatic events. I remember when this person died. I remember... This, this part of a, a life with someone who is no longer with me. And this will be my first Christmas or my first anniversary without that person. And we, and we think about these things in times. And then we have to ask our questions, why? Why, God? Or why did this happen? Or did it just happen? Is it just a random event? In trying to adjust our, our life that way. But what if everything is not a random event? What if everything is according to the plan of God? Think about what that does. If you accept that presupposition, everything happens according to the plan of God. What that does and what that can do to faith. And the ability to establish faith. Because if everything happens according to the will and to the plan of God, that would make God sovereign. Now, if God is sovereign and exists outside of time and outside of events, and he reaches out from eternity to, to offer himself to you, then we can trust in him. Take Christmas, for example. We take a look at Christmas. 
did God foretell the birth of his son? Yes. But there was only a few people that were actually paying attention. Mary, obviously, because <laughs> the angel and the fact that she's got a baby bump is a big deal. Joseph, Elizabeth, Zacharias, the wise men were pretty much the only ones that, that paid attention to the save the date. You say, well, what do you mean by save the date? Well, God foretold the birth of his son, how it was going to happen and where it was going to happen by sending out a save the date. You all have seen these save the dates. You think that you're, you're special, you know, especially these Gen Zers, you know, we're going to do save the date. Well, God trumps you. He, he did it long before through prophecy within this. And so we, we see this in his word. But back to God. Does God have a divine calendar? A calendar that exists, both time and events, that establishes things according to His will, that is already set, and we're coming to understand it more and more as, as time goes on. Even if we consider creation, and if, if you think about this, God is a God of order. The very existence of creation is set by order. The way that the earth rotates around the sun, and we are given light and darkness, and he tells us to count those rotations that allows us to be able to have these days, these years, these months, and these seconds. The very order. So what do we do? We go back to the beginning. In Genesis 1.1, the statement says, in the beginning, who? God. That statement alone defines the pre-existence of God. In the beginning of what? All of creation. God already existed. And He gave to us, based on a divine architect and plan, all of creation. But specifically, we take a look at time. That means God created time. In Genesis 1, 14-19, says this, Then God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be signs for the seasons and for the days and for the years. And let them be for our lights in the expanse of heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day, the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. He placed them in the expanse of heavens to give light on the earth and to govern, note, to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. God saw it was good and there was evening and there was morning on the fourth day. Who created time? God. God existed in eternity. But He created time for creation and established time for the whole purpose of being able to give to man an ability to count. And you've got to ask, well, why? If man and Adam and Eve were eternal in their creation... Why was it necessary to give time? Because of the events that would happen in the fall. For man to be able to count time and to plan for the events that were coming, nothing happens by chance. And even in creation, God established something that was necessary. And so there is no random events. That God is sovereign over all within these. And, and so that brings us to another question. 
Okay, so if God is sovereign over all and God has a plan, then what is God's plan? What is God's plan for my life? What is God's plan for, for my future? And then, can I trust Him? Can I trust Him in all things? Christmas is a testimony of the fact that not only can you trust God now for all things, but you can trust Him in the future. The fulfillment of prophecy and the fulfillment of everything that God had, had given to us in the incarnation of Christ are facts that are, that are given to us for our learning, for our growth, and for our faith. God doesn't ask you to believe blindly. He's given us the foundation to believe. And Christmas is much more than a fat guy in a red suit. Christmas is an establishment of God's authority and His sovereignty over everything. And it's a declaration of a plan. Over the next four weeks, we're going to study Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5. Just two verses, but we're going to tear them apart. We're going to tear them apart and we're going to bring out those truths that we find in them. So I'm going to ask that you stand if you, if you could. And join with me as we read this passage. It's short. But pay attention to the phrases. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoptions of sons. God, we would pray that even now as we tear into these passages, these words, that every word holds meaning, that nothing is just a random phrase, but God, it's you revealing your plan to us. We ask that you would teach us this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So we start out, but when the fullness of time came, God. Now, so you've got to ask the question, what does he mean by fullness of time? Well, breaking it down, the obvious is when the fullness of time or when, it, when the time was completed. But when we take a look at this phrase, when the fullness of time, God, just like in the beginning, God, God did something specific when that time was complete, when the measure of that time had come to its end. God is in control all the time by his constant and coherent will. In other words, God doesn't wake up one morning and say, oh, I didn't see that coming. God doesn't say, oh, I missed that. I forgot about that. That is an important trait that we've got to understand about God because God is sovereign all the time. Not only is He good all the time, but He's sovereign over all the time. And all of the events. The good and the bad. When somebody dies, God is sovereign over that. When someone is born, God is sovereign over that. When you are born into a specific family in a specific place, God is sovereign over that. In our puny little minds, we have a hard time understanding that. In our rebellious nature, we want to reject it. We don't want to believe that God is sovereign over everything. I like to be God once in a while. But... That's not the case. God exercises His divine and eternal decisions, and He's going to render His will 
to come to pass according to his plan, regardless of you and regardless of me. Within this, God's plan is solely related to himself and his plan is solely related in his sovereignty over all creation in, get this, in all eternity. God's sovereign will and God's sovereign plan affects everything that has ever been created. Does that mean angels? Yes. Does that mean demons? Yes. Does that mean anything that we don't know that was created that was created? Yes. God's sovereign over all of that and His sovereign plan. And, and He has divine authority over that. So this fullness of time, specifically, as Paul would write to Galatians, is the fullness of time as it relates to one thing. The incarnation of Jesus. There's a lot of fullness of times that we find in Scripture. A lot of fullness of times as God's plan would relate to the nation of Israel, as God's plan would relate to covenant promises, as God's plan would relate to the church, as God's plan would relate to the end times and the second advent of Jesus. Those all have periods of time that have a, a effect that has started from eternity, but there is a time when God enacts His will and says, now this event will take place. Now, in the fullness of time, this event will take place. And when you think about this, it'll hurt your head to think of the fact that God has a series of fullness of times for everything and everybody. In the fullness of time, you were born. In the fullness of time, you will die. In the fullness of time, whatever the plan is, and you're going, well, how does God keep track of it all? He's God. But specifically, in this passage in Galatians, in the fullness of time, Jesus came, he lived, and he died, and he rose again and ascended to heaven in the fullness of time. The pre-existing second person of the Godhead, as we call the Son, left heaven, came to earth, was born of this woman, the only begotten, the monogenus, was incarnate. John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Philippians 2.7 But He emptied Himself, taking the form of the bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. When? At the specific time. In this fullness of time. Which is mind-blowing, because why did Jesus come over 2,000 years ago? Why didn't God wait and the fullness of time was now? Why was it not 3,000 years ago? Why wasn't it right after the fall? Because Israel had to become a nation, and there was a lot of events that had to be established in order for that fullness of time to come to pass. But it was at the right time. Israel had become a nation. They'd gone into captivity. They'd gone into Babylon. They had rejected idolatry. They'd come back. And they had all of the law and understood the law completely. And they were under Roman occupation. And God, in His sovereignty, said, Now everything that is necessary to take place for the Messiah come will happen on this day. But when did He plan that? Prior to man's existence. Prior to the fall. And I can see the smoke already happening in some of your heads going, oh my goodness. 
The Father had planned this specific time. It was preordained. Understand this. Time only has one authority. God. Time only has one authority. God. God is in charge of all time. And by that, God is in charge of all events. And everything is subject to Him because everything submits to His plan. You say, everything, Carrie, even the bad, even the war in Ukraine, yes. Even the president that's the president of the United States, yes. Everything, everything submits to the plan of God. Now, as you sit and you stew on that and you think on that and you go, my goodness, how big is God? I can tell you this, he's beyond your comprehension. And if God is sovereign over all of these things in order to establish his son to come at a specific time and a specific place to a specific person for just that part of the plan, then how much more is God making his plans fulfilled for you? One of the things that we have to wrap our head around, if we can, is God's plans are eternal. God's plans were set before time was given in Genesis. And we will not get it. Isaiah 55, 9 says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. My thoughts more than your thoughts. Meaning, don't try to figure it out, just accept it. Just accept it. And that's by faith. We, we wrestle with some of these things. We've got to understand, not only is God's plans higher than ours, but God's plans are not reactive to the temporal. In Ephesians 3.11 says this, This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which He carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice, the eternal purpose. Now, on a side conversation, we could sit and we can try to discuss. That means that God had already determined that Jesus to be crucified before earth was even created. The answer would be yes. That sin entered into the world and God created Adam and Eve in the garden knowing that sin would enter into the world. Yes. All of this existed before our creation. God's plans are not based on chronological sequence. Because when we use the word before, that's a chronological sequence. So here's what's going to hurt you even more. God doesn't exist in a chronological sequence. He sees everything all at once. And it's all a part of His plan. You're going, Carrie, I don't understand it. That's why you're not God. And God determined at a specific time in a specific place that Jesus would become incarnate to Mary. God did not react to the fall of man. He didn't react and say, oh, i got to go to plan B. There is no plan B's with God. God had the solution before there was ever a problem because He knew both would have to happen within that. And, and again, you say, well, what, what came first? The solution or the problem? Yes. Sin existed before the creation of the world, did it not? Where did it exist? Before the creation of the world, where did sin exist? Lucifer. 
fallen angel. So, God's plan is much greater than just the salvation of mankind. One of the things that God's plan in the salvation of mankind in dealing with sin that existed before the creation answers the question is, does God have the right to rule? Why? Because the right to rule was challenged by Lucifer, who was a created being. And so all of this exhibits many different characteristics of God. The angels are watching us being able to understand all of these things about who God is as He's revealing Himself to His very creation. We know that solution for sin was prior to creation. Uh, Peter would mention it in his sermon in Acts 2.23. This man delivered by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. For whom? For the elect that were chosen before the foundations of the world, Ephesians 1.4. Just as he chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundations of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. So, you were chosen by God to become his child before the foundation of the world in Christ. But in order for that to take place, Christ would have to be born of Mary, live, die, and resurrect, paying the penalty for that sin. And that all took place in God's divine plan before the foundations of the world. And you're saying, well, Carrie, you're hurting my head. Yes! That's how big God is. That is how immense God is and that's how good God is. That in His plan, He had the plan for your salvation before creation ever happened, before ever there was a need for salvation, He had your plan. Because God operates outside of time. And God's plans have a divine purpose within this. I can tell you this. God's plans are perfect. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for calamity. Note, to give you a future and a hope. Before the foundation of the world, God determined that through His Son, who had to be born, live, die, rise again, pay the penalty for sin, that that would take place in order for you to have hope. Can you imagine if Jesus was never born? If He never lived and He never died? And God said, you know what? You're on your own. Would that work? Before sin was ever a problem, God had the solution. And in the fullness of time, God acted on one part, which is so important for each one of us, to give us hope. And God's plans cannot be stopped. Job chapter 42 verse 2 says this, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. That's a powerful passage. What does that mean? That God's plans are perfect and nothing, nothing can change the plans of God. Absolutely nothing. They can't be thwarted. They can't be stopped. Does that mean I can trust in God? Yes. Because God's plans for you are perfect and a plan for you to have 
hope and a future and all of these things. God has that plan for you and that cannot be changed. You can't separate yourself from the plans of God. No one can. In Isaiah 46, 10 and 11, it says this, declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient th- times and things which have not been, do- or have not been done, saying, quote, My purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my purpose for a far country, truly I have spoken, truly I will bring it to pass and I have planned it, surely I will do it. Many people struggle. I was speaking with a person earlier this week who said, I lost my faith and I'm looking to find it back. Why did you lose your faith? Because you stopped knowing the mind of God. You you stopped understanding that God is sovereign. Just that little bit of faith, God, you've got this, is essential. To know that God is in control is imperative. To be able to fully trust in God, not just in the good times, but in the hard times, the difficult times, and even in death and suffering, God, you've got this, is to be able to trust in the sovereign God that is in charge. And when things in this world go sideways, and the world gets crazy, and it will, is God still in charge? Yes. Yes, He absolutely is. And understand this also, the plans of God are not arbitrary. They're not predetermined. And as I said, it's not thwarted, nor can it be changed. And God doesn't take advice from people. Which is really important. I wish I could get some people to understand that. In Isaiah 40, verses 13 and 14, says this. Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord? Who has, who, or as His counselor, has informed Him? With whom did he consult, and who gave him understanding, and who taught him in the path of justice, and taught him knowledge, and informed him of the way of understanding? In other words, does God have a a committee meeting? You know what? They did it again. Let's have a committee meeting. I'm taking input. Let's have a team huddle. Our world today and business world is really big about team huddles. They're a joke. God doesn't take advice from anybody. You say, well, then why do I pray? Prayer is imperative, not to change the mind of God, but to change us. When we pray, we are lining up our will to God. You think of the Lord's Prayer. When Jesus taught his disciples, he said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What's the next line? Thy will be done on where? As it is. In heaven. It was God's predetermined plan that Jesus would be born. I can tell you not on December 25th. That Jesus would be born to a woman in Bethlehem. And he gave everybody information about when and where that would take place. We struggle with God's divine will. But understand, God's divine will is not for our pleasure. God's divine will is for His good pleasure. And to bring Him glory. 
we do not exist, or God does not exist for us. We exist for God. We are His creation. Hence, the worship song that we will all sing in Revelation 4.11. Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will... They existed and they were created. When we get to heaven, we will be worshiping from that vein because we'll understand that everything was created for God. And He is worthy to be praised because of that. Even when I'm suffering grief, yeah, you can grieve and still worship God. You can be frustrated and still worship God. Because in our humanity, in our flesh, we struggle, but we still in our spirit can know the sovereignty of God. And God's, man, God's plans are made complete through both His prescriptive and permissive will. And you say, well, what is that? Prescriptive will. Basically, God says this is the way things are going to be. They are unchangeable. They are God's decrees that take place without change. God decreed that Jesus would be born of a virgin in Bethlehem on a specific date, God decreed that, that Jesus would live on this earth. He would perform miracles. God decreed that He would die across death. And that He would rise again three days later and declare Himself resurrected. God decreed that. God decreed that all of this would take place as the substitutionary death, the fancy word propitiation, for you and I. It was God's decree that the Son would die for you so that you could put your faith in Him and be saved. It was God's decree that Jesus would be the atonement for your sin and that sin would be paid for through Jesus' death and by faith accepting that, you would be forgiven and be called a child of God. That was God's decree. The means by which salvation would come, come to take place. And all of this would take place according to God's prescriptive will, which is so vast and incomprehensible we can't understand it. But here's the tension. There is also a thing called permissive will. God does not force everyone to accept this gift of eternal life. God does not force you to become a child of God. We know that according to Peter's letter, and you can read it later in 2 Peter 3, verses 3 through 18, we see that God issues a warning of a coming judgment. Judgment is prescriptive. God's not wishing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Permissive. Judgment will happen according to God's decree. But God's permitting you a choice. Will you accept or you reject? Permissive will. And He offers that gift. There is order in the universe. No random events. You can trust in God and believe in Him for everything. Because He is sovereign over all things, all time and all events. So what has God done specifically? 
God prepares mankind to receive His Son, Jesus. Why are you here? Are you here because it's a social club? Are you here because the coffee's good? Why are you here? You're here because before eternity, before time began and in eternity, God determined that you would be here. God determined to call you His child. God determined that He would continue to reveal Himself through His Word. Through His good pleasure. God determined and prepared mankind for His Son through prophecy. In the fullness of the Old Testament prophecies, in the fullness of the Old Testament time, Jesus was born. That the Savior would come. Notice in Genesis, and you can read them later if you're taking notes, Genesis 3.15, He was born of a woman. Isaiah 7.14, He was born of a virgin. Micah 5.2, He was born in Bethlehem. Do you know that 351 prophecies, 351 prophecies were all fulfilled at the birth of Jesus? 351. That's a lot of save the dates. God had already spoken about this. And it was in the fullness of time. Not only that, God prepared man through promises. We think about the, Abraham, the Adamic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant, and even the new covenant. God prepares mankind to see Jesus. Why? So that nobody's without excuse. Everything that you need to know God is given to us through His Word. And all of these covenant promises reveal God's plan just for Jesus. And there's a lot of other promises in the Word. If you're able to look and see these things. But I think most importantly, God prepared mankind through the Gospel. The Gospel that has been given and preached for over 2,000 years to get man to the place to recognize that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. In Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, says this, Now after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee, note, preaching the gospel of God, Jesus is preaching the gospel of God, saying, note, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, Repent and believe in the gospel. The time is fulfilled. What was the time? The time was the gospel. As it pertained to the gospel, it was filled with Jesus right there. Repent and believe. Permissive will. Will you believe? So you can enter into the kingdom of God. The one thing we know about the kingdom of God is that in the kingdom of God, there's always a king who is sovereign. It's under the authority. And so we can understand that all these things have been given to us. In the fullness of time, God sent His Son. In the fullness of time that God sent His Son, Jesus, to deliver these times according to God's plan. In 1 John 4, 9-10 says this, By this, the love of God was manifest in us. That God sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And in this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. In the fullness of time, God established the means and the way 
to be able to have a relationship with Him. Christmas is a celebration of that fullness of time. We celebrate Jesus' coming because that is the fullness of time that opens the gateway for us to have a relationship with God. It's that gift that has been given to us and that gift based on love that man's sins were atoned for. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, Paul would say, for he says, at the acceptable time, I listened to you. And on the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. What is Paul saying? The day that you accepted Jesus as Lord was the acceptable time. The day that you came to faith and you surrendered your heart was the acceptable time. You're saying, Carrie, there is a day that God has determined by which I'm going to come to faith? The answer is yes. The fact of the matter is, you don't know it. But God knew it. And God orchestrated everything in your life to get you to that place where by free will you will accept. You say, well, it wasn't free will. God set the date. No, God set the date. God prepared the gift. And God's sovereignty, He knew you would accept it. But the fact of the matter is, we don't know when that day is. You know, in heaven I believe that there's, and this is in my sanctified imagination, that there's a sign over that door that enters into heaven that says this, Come, whosoever will. General invitation. Come, whosoever will. Right over the door. You walk through the door, you accept Christ. And you look back and there's another sign. Blessed are you who were chosen before the foundations of the world. When you look at it, you understand, I do, I, I'm clueless. I got this invitation. I'm accepting it because I know that I'm a sinner. And God is going to save me by grace. And it's a free gift of grace that's accepted by faith. Not of works, not of anything that I do. And I come in and then I realize God loved me before He even knew me. Romans 5.8 While I was yet a sinner, Jesus died for who? Me. God knows your name. He knew you before the foundations of the world. And all of this is all part of God's plan. And it's very specific to you. Now, there's one more fullness of time I'll touch on. At the fullness of time, the sun's going to return. We're not there yet. At the fullness of time, Jesus is going to come back. He's going to judge the world. At the fullness of time, the church is going to be taken out. At the fullness of time, at the end of times. And we don't know that time. In fact, in Matthew 24, 36, 39 says this, But of that day and the hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah, for as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and they were marrying and giving in marriage until that day Noah entered the ark and they did not understand 
until the flood and that took him all away, so will come the Son of Man be. In the fullness of time. God is the planner. And at some point in time, not the angels, not even the Son, the Father who is the architect says, now's the time. Go. Now's the time. And everybody else is going, well, I didn't see that coming. No, you won't. In the fullness of time, there will be a judgment. In the fullness of time, there will be a restoration. Then how should we live? James 4.15 says this, Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and we will do this or that. In other words, how should we live in this time that we have? According to the will of the Lord. We can make plans, but then we, we end it with, you know, Christmas, I'm going to head out of town, Lord willing. Why? Because I don't know. What if, what if God between now and then says, now it's time? Are you good with that? I am. There is an order to all of the universe. It's not random. And you can trust in God for all of these things. If God has demonstrated His authority over time and events in the past, will He not do the same in the future? Today, we are celebrating the first Sunday at Advent, the birth of Jesus. Do you realize that Jesus was born to die according to the will of the Father? In a moment, we're going to pass out the elements for communion. The bread and the cup, they represent both the, the body and the blood of Jesus. In the fullness of time, He gathered His disciples together into a room and said, this bread represents My body, broken for you. As often as you eat this, remember Me. And He'll take the cup in the same way and He'll say, this cup represents the new covenant of My blood. And as often as you drink this, Remember me. And he also says, I will not drink of the fruit of this vine until we are all gathered together. And Revelation tells us it's the marriage supper of the Lamb. In the fullness of time, we will all sit at a table with the Lord Jesus at the head. And he will raise his glass. We're not there yet. So what do we do? We remember. These elements are available to anyone who has placed their faith and trust in Jesus. The reason why you wouldn't take it is if you don't have a relationship with them because they don't mean anything. They're, it's not a snack. And it's not a religious liturgy thing that's going to do anything for you spiritually. It's a memorial. So with reverence and worship, we'll take these elements. The ushers will pass them out, wait till everybody's been served, and then we'll take them together at the end. Let me pray. God, I thank You that You've given to us this hope and this future. Lord, I pray blessing over this time of communion as we remember. And may we honor you with our lives and, and submissive hearts, knowing that our sins have been paid for and that you see us perfect. Lord, I would pray if there's anyone here that's struggling in their faith journey, may they surrender to you. If there's anyone here that hang, is hanging on to sin that they haven't sought forgiveness for, may they surrender it to you. And may you be honored, because worthy, worthy are you, Lord, to be praised. In Jesus' name, amen.
In the darkness we were waiting Without hope, without light Till from heaven you came running There was mercy in your eyes To fulfill the law and prophets To a virgin came the word From a throne of endless glory To a cradle in the dirt Praise the Father To redeem the whole creation, you did not despise the cross. For even in your suffering, you sought to the other side. Knowing this was our salvation, Jesus, for our sake, you died. Yeah. 
Let's all stand before the Lord. As we hold up this bread before you, God, we thank you for this bread and all that it means to think that you had planned for our eternity, in eternity, that that you exist in, in Everything all at once. It's so mind-blowing. And that you would be mindful of me. Of each individual that's in this room, those that are watching online. That you would be mindful of us. In eternity. To call us by name. And you know the very hairs that are on our head. And that the death of Jesus would be enough for all of my sins. And that you've adopted me as your child. This bread reminds us of a penalty that was paid by Jesus and his body that hung on that cross, placed in a tomb, rose again three days later, victorious. We thank you for this bread and all that it means. We take it together. We do so in honor of you, Lord Jesus. Let's all receive the bread. Let's hold the cup up before the Lord. God, as I hold this cup up in my mind's eye, I want to see you, Lord Jesus, sitting across that table, raising your glass. But till then, I lift this this glass up with my family here in honor of you. This cup that represents a new covenant ratified by your blood. That though my sins were red as scarlet, you washed me and made me white as snow. Pure and clean. I stand right now before a holy God, holy because of what Jesus has done. And nothing can thwart that. Nothing can change that. We thank you for the cup and the blessing that it represents. We honor you and we worship you as we take it now. In Jesus' name. Let's all take the cup. Thank you, Lord. As is our practice as a church, on Communion Sunday, we take up a special...
love offering. It's a benevolent offering that's used to meet needs of people in lots of different ways. And so we get to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. Because Jesus loved us, we want to love others. So the ushers will come forward and gather up that offering. This money goes to a separate account just to meet those needs. So let's pray that these resources meet those people that God foreordained to have their needs met. God, I thank you for the blessing that you've given to us. And as we bless others, we love you, God, and we want to love others by giving to help meet those needs. Lord, I can think of faces of people that that have been blessed because of this, this benevolent fund. Roofs that have been put on houses, uh, dental work, ramps, medicine, utilities, all of these things. Lord, we would ask that, that these resources would meet those human needs through our loving hands for your glory. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Joy to the world on a night like no
was good. He was born to conquer the grave. Light of the world, the reason for Christmas. Sing all ye people, Lord Almighty reigns. Till every creature of God come bless His name. For He is you truly are the reason for this season. The season of celebration of Christmas. And as we go out, may we celebrate your birth and your resurrection. Your life and the new life that you offer to us. May we rejoice and that joy be in such a way that it causes others to ask a question, why are you so happy? then we can share you, Lord Jesus. And most importantly, God, may everything we say and do put a smile on your face. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Have a blessing. Thanks for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 6.30 p.m. Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scappoose and St. Helens. For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.